Hey, Three Song Stories listeners, it's Kate Scales. If you listen to my episode, you'll know my voice. I'm here with the crew from Three Song Stories, and they're here to tell you why you need to pledge. That's right. It is our uh, membership campaign that we are in right now, and that is the reason that we are here asking for your support. We make Three Song Stories in these awesome studios at WGCU, but we couldn't do it if we didn't have listeners out there who were supporting our overall mission. So do your part now and call the number 1-800-533-9428. Hello, Richard. Hello, Mike, and hello, listeners. Uh, Just again, we're going to take a quick break before the show here and remind you that if you haven't given before, this is a great time to do it. If you're a fan of the podcast and you've never given to public radio, this should be the gateway for for you. It's a great way to support the programs that you listen to, like Three Song Stories and the programs that other people who live around you in Southwest Florida also listen to. So the number again is 800-533-9428 or you can go online to wgcu.org slash radio uninterrupted or if you're listening on the app, on the WGCU app you can give right through the app so you don't even have to leave. You can just keep listening to this and then you can donate. If you enjoy all the three song selfies, all of the behind the scenes content and all the cool stuff, including everything we had with Kate Scales, that's episode 21. If you haven't listened yet, go ahead and support the station, support WGCU and the songs and the stories that you love to listen to. Again, 1-800-533-9428 or go online to WGCU.org slash radio uninterrupted. Keep listening. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that uses musical memories to bring out our guests' personalities and personal histories. We like to call it biography through music. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is John Lasciuto. He's been director of the Florida Gulf Coast University Art Gallery since 2014. Before that, he was registrar of the Haggerty Museum of Art at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Over the years, he's taught art and design. He's curated many art exhibits. He's reviewed exhibits and theater productions and juried exhibits. That's the person who picks which pieces wind up in group shows. And he worked at Theater X in Milwaukee for about a year. He's also an artist himself and has had a number of solo exhibits and participated in many group exhibits over the years. The fact that this intro has the word exhibit in it so many times is definitely indicative of John's career. He's immersed in the world of art and the support of it, both personally and institutionally, which is right up my alley. So I look forward to exploring how music fits into his life's puzzle. Hey there, John. How's it going? It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to finally have you in here after having bumped into you on campus and pitched this idea to you, which at first you looked at me like I was crazy. And then you came back later and you were like, I think I want to do this. It had to sink in. You know, you, you, you gave me the idea and I said, wow, it's, it's fascinating, but you know, what do I actually do with that? And it took me, I think, two months to figure that out. We will get into your process here in a little bit. What was the uh, musical background of your childhood? None. I grew up in a house that – I was thinking about this the other day and that's um, what this whole project has spawned me to do or inspired me to do is, you know, my parents told me early on that the reason why they didn't have a record player or any kind of music in the house is because prior to my awareness of this, I think they were robbed and their records and their record player were stolen and they decided not to reinvest. So it was this really strange void that I didn't understand. So, 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 let's dig into that a little further. So that's like legit. Like your parents, Le- like, like, like somebody came and stole your parents' music, and they thought, "Well, that's it for music." Yes, <laughs> isn't that strange? Yeah, and, yeah. And I haven't thought about it because no one really 
ask you about you know that part of your life, and and I've only heard that story from them once. So, you know, memory is tricky. So I got to go back and, at some point and ask them. Did that? Is that really what I remember? Happened? Where was this? Well, we moved around a lot uh, growing up, so it may have been in Missouri or um, Florida. I don't know. Oh, so you, you, so Milwaukee is where your resume mostly is centered, but that's somewhere you wound up. I think. Okay, so I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, and then at some point we moved to Illinois, Florida, Indiana, Missouri, um, then out to California, Alabama, and then Wisconsin. Military? No. My no? father was just chasing career. Huh. Chasing a career, yeah. Uh, what kind of career? Um, <laughs> food service. Okay. Vending machines and, you know, industrial food service. Real, real quick, um, where in Missouri and where in Florida? Because I've lived Gainesville. in those. Gainesville. Gainesville, okay. And um, I I'm not sure, but I think outside of St. Louis. Okay. So uh, if, if you don't really have much of a deep musical memory uh, uh, as a background for your childhood, what is your earliest musical memory? Okay. So I was thinking about that too. Um, so Born to Run was was a tape that I got. And, and I looked at that and I said, well, that has, I have no interest in that whatsoever. That was, a, that was the first musical tape my parents gave me, I think like age 10 or 9 or something like that. And so I didn't even want to listen to it. Um, and then I think – the alternative to that may have been like U2, I think, early U2 albums. Hmm. Yeah. And so you don't have any like little – like when you were in elementary school kind of – I guess oh, 10 that, years old. Whatever was played in school, you right. know, whatever you, you know, the teachers tell you to dance along. Can to. you remember the first time music moved you or that you, you, you were swept away by it somehow? I think, I think those U2 albums, those early okay. boy and, and those are other uh, – Early U2 albums probably. So U2 was sort of formative for you yeah, musically? Yeah, at, at that age, at age, yeah, like age 10, 11, 12, something like that. And that Born to Run tape was the first thing that you owned? The first thing I saw that I rejected. And now, What I, was it that you – did you listen to I, it before no, you I did, rejected I did, no, it? No, I just – Did you looked, think it was a, a, an exercise tape? No, I Get thought it, I thought it was like American propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Not, I didn't know to use those words, but there's something that just seemed distasteful about it, you know. Um, it just didn't didn't jive with me. Hmm. Um, uh, did you ever make mixtapes? Yes. Yeah, I did that quite a bit. And then there was – I worked at a restaurant for quite a while in my early 20s. And uh, someone there was really interested in making mixtapes. And so we would exchange mixtapes. Um, he was a, a aficionado with music, like loved the rare, you know, unusual. And this was tapes. Tracks. This yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. – you're old enough for the tape world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember any of the songs that would have been on the, that era of mixtape? Um, I think some Zappa. Um, I think some. Hmm, I know that for sure. Maybe maybe Steve Reich. It was it was like the more obscure stuff. Like okay, how can how can I give you something that you haven't heard before that will make you think or make you come back and have a conversation with me? Did you ever use them to try to woo? No, this was this was a, a you know a guy that yeah, I worked yeah. with. I um, didn't know if it was broader than just that one. That's the that I'm sure I made other mixtapes, but that's the one that stuck out because I think there was like a set of four, and they almost became like these collector items. Like wow, you know this guy really loves music so much that he you know is investing in these these mixtapes. How did you wind up um, in the in the arts and in the world of arts? If you said you were working at a restaurant in your early 20s, sort of give us the the arc from your... The short bio? Yeah. So I, I think um, I, I remember when I was in Alabama, I went to um, a magnet school you know, where they were trying to, you know, government or the, the city was trying to figure out how to integrate uh, communities. And so they created this school that, 
you know, had a great art program in order to uh, get white communities to, you know, move into or to send their kids to black communities. And so that, I think, was, you know, the the real serious um, art introduction to me, you know, hmm. going to that magnet school. Did you then study art in college? I did. I did. So um, – well, What level of art? Because I know you've done everything from making it to – Raising right. money for it and everything in between. Right. So I got my uh, master's in fine art and painting and drawing. Um, so I got my bachelor's, my master's, and then um, you know along the way, just a lot of curating and you know um, getting together with people in the community and creating performances and exhibitions and all kinds of stuff. What about music? You know, a musical theater productions or musical I dance. Would, so you know. When I was also growing up in Alabama, we went to church quite a lot, to Lutheran church. And I remember being in some choir or something like that, and there was this moment, you know, we were singing a song, and and this uh, whoever was leading it, you know, was very particular about how I I could not sing, I couldn't you know match the the notes. So that that kind of you know uh, put a squash on my my enjoyment of you know participating in music. But then when I went to college, I took guitar. A couple of courses of guitar, and that you know, gave me the foundation to come back to it. And I still, you know, just for myself, you know, love going home and you know playing guitar and learning songs that I've enjoyed over the acoustic? years. Acoustic, mm-hmm. Inco- acoustic, yeah. Uh, do you have more than one guitar? I have a couple, yeah. Uh, electric at all? No, I've tried, but uh, I think my skill level is, for me anyway, is basic enough where acoustic is more than more than I can handle. Any other instruments ever enter your life? I've tried violin. Hmm. That's it. Yeah, that seems like something that would be fun to try once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to do it all the time from what I get. Right. Um, uh, okay, so let's get to your first song. What is your first song? Do you want to tell the story um, sure. before? Oh, before, see, or after. The, see, yeah, here, here, let's break it down because, you know, either either um, you tell the story and so the listener gets to kind of groove to that story while they hear the Man. song or you can hear the song and then come out of it and burst out with your story. Yikes. All right, let's hear the song. Oh, okay. Let's do it. Well, this, uh, and, and set it up for us. Which song is this? Lou Reed. Lou Reed. Walk on the Wild Side from Transformer. Okay, this is Walk on the Wild Side by Lou Reed from his 1972 album, Transformer. So uh, where, when, to whom, what, what does that song mean to you, and why did you pick it, and what's the story? So it's one of those songs that you know I've heard for many years, you know, here and there. Um, but the reason why it really has a point in, in my life that um, I can't let go of is that when I was done with grad school um, in the arts, I went to teach English in Taiwan in mm. Taipei. And when I was there, we were teaching um, kindergarten kids, you know, four-year-olds, three-year-olds, and every morning we had to do exercise time. So it was the English teachers, there's three of us, it was our choice to put together a mixtape, mix CD, of songs to do exercise time with with these kids. Okay. And I didn't choose this song, but one of my people I was teaching with chose Walk on the Wild Side. And it was the strangest thing because I think that's when the lyrics really hit me of what was being said when you're doing jumping jacks and these three-year-old Taiwanese kids are singing these lyrics at you, singing about the color girls go, <laughs> and you're and and you're thinking, how surreal is this? 
Did you bring that up to your fellow teacher who chose the song, or did you just sit in the background and no, absorb we, we, the surreality? We, talk, we talked about it, and I think that it was a question of should we do more things like that, you know, um, for our own entertainment. And, and I don't think it was, you know, in any way malicious. It's just I think a cross cultural shift that you're not aware of maybe how some of these things resonate or appear mm-hmm. until, until you, you see, see it, it through someone else's eyes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and then you're like, wow, this is this song, there's a lot more going on in this song than I've ever thought about. You know, it's funny because uh, I, I don't want to say your eyes necessarily, but the show's eyes because, I mean, I've certainly heard that song over the years and I hadn't really listened to it intently like until just now because I don't really listen to these songs before we do the show. I just get them ready for the show. Sure. And so I was, you know, all those same things were happening to me too. Kind of like, wow, this song really, <laughs> this really sort of, sort of edgy song. And then for you to say, you know, yeah, it totally makes sense. So how long were you in uh, Taiwan? Almost a year. And yeah. was that just kind of like a break from reality for you, or were you I didn't thinking know, of staying? Or I didn't know what to do with my life. Um, you know, I was teaching adjunct um, studio courses. You know, after grad school, trying to piece together a career and, you know, doing whatever I could, part-time jobs, and nothing was really sticking, and I was applying for full-time jobs across the country. And this was an avenue where, you know, you could make 35000 40000 see the world, have an experience. Um, and so I thought, well, now's the time to do that. Have you ever been back? Do you I stay did. in touch with the people who you knew from there at all? No, I don't stay in touch, um, but I went back – Last February, my wife and I went back, and we I, I went back to the you know, apartment I lived in, and you know, kind of remembered some of the places that. Listen to a little Lou Reed while you were there. I didn't. I should. <laughs> I should have, but yeah, I didn't do that. Uh, what was the last concert you attended? Oh man, I can't remember the guy's name. It was it was here, like uh, four months ago or so, um, at the Southwest or. Southwest Florida Performing Arts. I can't remember the, even the venue. I'm terrible with with uh, names and places. But um, sorry, I wish I wish I could put that together for you. What's your best concert experience? Okay, that's easier. So best is very subjective, but um, memorable. Um, a, a few frogs concerts and frogs. No one probably. Very yeah, I was just about know. to say. You looked at me like you said it like, oh, you know the frogs. <laughs> yeah, no one probably knows, but they're a band that. Is it was out of Milwaukee? Uh, one of the members is a two-piece band. One of the members died, um, but they were a band that was about um, kind of a little shocking and performative, and uh, you didn't know if they were even going to finish a song or two. And so they had a devout, devout following. Um, and you know, the one brother is a, is a brother uh, duo. One brother would come out in blackface, and so it's just about you know how far can we push the the envelope. Hmm. You know, and, and, and when when would that have been? Mm, maybe early two thousands. Okay, and they're not around. You said one of them passed. Yeah, away. one of them passed away. That the older brother or the the taller brother, at least, um, he's still around, and he used to come out in this big bat suit and you know, <laughs> with wings or whatever, and sparkles and glitter. And is that uh, vibe something that you are? Are into musically, you know. So this is. I mean, you know, you're a gallery yeah, guy. You're a yeah, theater so guy. Yeah. So this is. This is. I think you know. You're. You're hitting on something. You know. As I was going through my my list of of songs. Yeah. You know the glam rock. You know the the shock. You know um, the 
kind of intense storytelling, you know, um, you know, songs that aren't just about, you know, a groove, but they're about, you know, resonating with you, making you think, you know, challenging you. Yeah. No, there's definitely some overlap with the, the, the art world, the theater world, that sort of thing. Right. Um, when was the last time you bought music that had a physical form? Oh, man. Another, another challenge. So, yeah, I gave up on, on that, you know, with that. You were an early adopter of giving up? Kind of, yeah. So I think maybe a Miles Davis. I was buying a bunch of those. Um, must have been like 12 or 13 years ago. Okay. So yeah. how do you listen to music these days? Are you just like iTunes and that sort of thing? Actually, so it was Rhapsody, but Rhapsody is now Napster. Napster is like a thing still. Yeah, it's a, it's a well, it's a legitimate thing. Well, yeah, it's so I you did. pay you pay Napster to listen oh. to music. Yeah, so Rhapsody was the predecessor. Okay, so you like have an account on Napster and you can Correct. play almost anything. Correct. Kind of like Spotify, probably. Correct. Yep, yep, exactly. How did I not know that? How did that there's how, so many, there's how so many that different. not come up on this show yet? Um, <laughs> what is an album that you have to listen to all the way through if you get started on it? Oh, some of the early Bowie albums for sure, like Hunky Dory, um, Miles Davis, some of his albums. Um, there are these journeys through. Um, let's see, what else? I guess those are two good ones to start with. Do you have a favorite band? Is that is that possible to say? It keeps shifting, but I always come back to Bowie, and uh, I think that's a yeah a standard. And and lately it's Scott Walker, which I didn't know Bowie was inf- influenced by. And I don't so, think I know Scott Walker. Yeah, so he's someone that um, I guess you know pushed Bowie along those early years, and so that's been a, a favorite lately. Um, you talked earlier about how you weren't singing the right notes when you were a kid. Right. Where does karaoke fit into your life, oh, if at all? it's very scary. So <laughs> I do my own karaoke alone. <laughs> you what? <laughs> you know, alone, alone just karaoke. like in the mirror? <laughs> no, no, no. I tell, you know, I'm just talking, playing, you know, like if I'm playing guitar or something. Um, but Oh, so you do, you, you, you sing I to sing. your guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so, are your go-to songs? Well, you know, so I appreciate that I can, I can play um, Walk on the Wild Side. It's simple enough. Um, Scott Walker, um, Bowie, um, you know, some of those, those formative songs, just being able to figure it out, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it, such an interesting mental yeah, process, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, be able to, it makes you, you know, dive in deeper to, you know, understand how those things were built, you know, how they were created in the first place. What about, you know, out at the bar with friends karaoke, though? Has that ever been a thing? I wish I had the courage to do it. it, it I, I enjoy going there, but I, it's a spectator sport for me, too. <laughs> I would I would love it if I if I so I did karaoke at a friend's house so like a group of four friends that's okay you know he had a karaoke machine but yeah larger than that I just I just don't know if I can do it and so therefore probably dancing in public is not a thing either I'm a, I'm better at dancing in public because I haven't been I was never you know berated or or you know scolded about how bad of a dancer I was. But you'll you'll get out there on the dance floor at the wedding. Yeah, yeah I'll do that. <laughs> okay. Uh let's move on to uh song number 2. What do you got and how do you want All right, how so do you want to approach I've, it? I've, I've you know I've laid I've you know talked about David Bowie enough so we're going to listen to Life on Mars and uh we'll talk about it later. All right. This is Life on Mars by David Bowie from his 1971 album Hunky Dory. So what's the story? About the song? No, about something other than the song. 
All right. I think, you know, this is one of the songs I've just listened to my whole life over and over and over again. And, um, you know, probably, you know, from whatever age, 16 on. And it it seems to tug at my beliefs, um, you know, my skepticism, my some of my pessimism, my hopes. You know, it's just there's a lot in there and the, some of the imagery that it creates. Um, and I just get lost in it. You know, it's one of those songs. It's It's big enough. It's complex enough. It's abstract enough. Um, it just sucks me in. So I've never gotten tired of that. And that's a song that I, you know, have struggled to try to perfect playing on guitar and, and understand all the changes, the chord changes that go into it. It seems like, yeah, it seems like it, it takes a lot of turns. Absolutely. Do you play that song or do you play songs for your wife or do you have to like sit in the, when she's gone? And both. <laughs> both. Yeah. I mean, I, I can play I can play the song on guitar for other people, but to sing and play, that's where the challenge comes in. But I'm getting better little it, by little. Would you say that's your favorite Bowie song or is that just the song that most resonates with you through the lens of this maybe, show? Maybe both. Yeah. I mean, I think those early, once again, those early albums, um, the songs were more complex as he got you know, later on, um, I think the songs, at least lyrically, became simpler. They didn't; they weren't these long narratives, these long storytelling, you know, endeavors. So. Uh, it came up earlier today, just coincidentally, the, um, the Tesla. You know, uh, Elon Musk sh- shot the Tesla right. into space, and it's it was playing Space Odyssey. Yeah. That's way I thought yeah. that was kind of poetic. Absolutely. Of, um, have you heard this? This is totally kind of be random, but. It popped into my head during the uh, listening of that song. Um, about two years ago, there was sort of – it wasn't The Onion, but it was like The Onion, one yeah. of those sort of fake news sources that doesn't try to hide the fact that it's fake and writes things for <laughs> funny reasons. And it was uh, – scientists have discovered why everything's going to hell. It was because the loss of a particle called the boon. Okay. That when David Bowie died, <laughs> we lost the boon. <laughs> And it was what was keeping the universe's shit together. <laughs> I don't know if I give him that much credit. I mean, personally, you know, he's had a big impact, or his music had a, his music has had a big impact in my life. But I'm not sure if he's uh, can get that much credit. Did you ever get a chance to see him? Perform? I did. I did once. Where was that? Uh, I think it was in Boston, and that that was up there as you know that was an amazing concert. And I think what I took away from that was his showmanship. I mean, he had absolute control of that stage. And I saw Prince play as well. And and, I, mm. and those two are almost polar opposites, in my opinion, on how they manage the stage. Prince was running nonstop back and forth on that stage like he just couldn't stop. And it was, the energy was exploding. Where Bowie could stand in one place and the same amount of energy, you know, just a slight move of his hand right. would give, would, you know, inspire, would push the crowd just as much as Prince running 100 miles back and forth. Hmm. And that really impressed me that he could control, A, himself, his voice, the band, his presence to that to that degree. Um, uh, when would that have been about when you saw him live? Was that where, – where in the arc of his career would that have been? So it must have been around late, late 90s I think. Um, do you remember – this might be a weird question, but I don't know. I, I know a lot of big Bowie fans and they took it really hard when he died. Do you right. remember like when you heard? I do remember, but I don't know the you know, place and you know, where, where I was yeah, standing. It wasn't like, right a, like a JFK moment or anything like that. But. No, no. I mean I think you know, the Twin Towers you know, far eclipsed Bowie's death for me as far as you know, the where were you. Right, right. You know, so. I have one of those memories with uh, when the Challenger – 
yeah. uh, blew up because I went to high school or went to I was in middle school here in Florida and we heard the announcement and we walked out onto our field and on the horizon you could see the wow. smoke across the state. Wow. It's like woo. Well, we're turned a corner there. Um, so, uh, where does music fit into your world professionally in terms of what goes on, you know, at FGCU and then the other ways that you interface with the arts community? Is sure, there music in there. I wish I could say we did more, and I think we're we're ramping up to do more at FGCU art galleries. Uh, we work with the music department for sure. So the jazz combo will play, the string quartet will play, you know, to support the music students and they, you know, add a, a layer of, um, you know, added content to what we do at openings. Um, but one thing we're doing coming up soon, there's an exhibition called Blind Date with Jen Ray out of New York and Neil Bender out of Tampa. And it's funny because, you know, it's just coincidence, you know, with the show and, and that exhibition. They are, um, they're putting together a mixtape. Oh, really? So Neil's going to have 10 songs. Uh, Jen's going to have 10 songs or thereabouts. And we'll play those during the run of the exhibition. And part of it was that they didn't know each other. This was a way to get to know each other. It was a way to uh, let the audience in on what inspires them. So it's very it's, – it's interesting that, you know, this intent kind of overlaps with the show a little bit. And then um, we're going to work with the jazz combo here on campus – and they're going to choose six or eight of those songs from the mixtape, interpret them, create new compositions, and play those for the opening. So, well, that's pretty cool. That is pretty. So, I, I, my, my aspirations are to do more things like that, mm-hmm. where we really think about music and art and performance and theater, um, but think about it, you know, far enough in advance where we can integrate it in a thoughtful way. You know, and not to you know do some booking here during the podcast, but perhaps we can get them in here. <laughs> that'd be great. That. Yeah, that'd be really great. While they're in town, any idea how long they're going to be around or anything? So like the that? show opens uh, on October eighteenth, and they should be here approximately a week prior to that. Oh, so they'll be around for a little while. So it's not like they're just flying in for the opening. No, they ha- they're going to be building the installation and. Creating it on site. So. Well, let's talk about uh, maybe a fourth song that didn't make it to your list. Did you have it whittled down to four? Or I had, or? I had a tie. I was going back and forth. Um, so I have to refer to my notes. So there was um, there was Nina Simone's Four Women, and I loved that because it mimicked Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. So you know, Lou Reed's talking about these four people uh, or these five people in his song. And I didn't realize they were real people, you know, tied to Warhol and, and the factory. Oh, and, I didn't either. Yeah, so I was reading about that, and you know, so that he really, you know, he met these five different people and and told their story. Um, anyway, so but um, Nina Simone's Four Women also sucks you in in that way, where it's you know four ways that we look at you know um, black women or women Asian women or you know any anyone that's not like us, us being white, you know, so I'm putting myself as, as the as the us and them as the other, which I think is the point of the song, you know, to, to get out of that way of thinking, you know, and, and think about how do how do all these different types of people exist and, and what do they deal with? And so it's another song that, you know, kind of pushes you, challenges you. Um, what was the process? Oh, oh another, I'm sorry, the other one was um, no, go ahead. Frank Zappa's uh, uh, Peaches and Regalia, which that song I love because um, – uh, WMSC is a public radio station in Milwaukee. There was, I think, it was like the, it was either a blues or jazz um, uh, show that would come on, and they'd always open with "Peaches and Regalia," 
And so it just, once again, it's amazing. So okay. you're a longtime public radio listener. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what was the process that you used? Did you, did you build up from one song that you knew was on the list? Did you start at 10 and try to bring it down? Oh, my gosh. So I brought in this, like, it doesn't have that many, but a lot of, a lot of songs, a lot of artists, because as I started adding songs, it made me think of other songs or other musicians. And so the, the list kind of expanded and contracted over that you know, two-month time period. And I just, in the end, I just said, okay, look, what, what are the songs that, you know, I, I kind of go back to the ones you started with, and then what are the songs that you really, you know, have stuck with you over the years, you know? So that was the process. Was Where are you at musically today? Are there any new, you know, mainstream bands or maybe not mainstream but new that you're listening to? Yeah, so some, some bands that have caught my attention lately um, that – I think are pretty incredible. Um, Alabama Shakes. Mm-hmm. Just got a uh, thumbs up from Tara man, in the booth for that one. I, that that lead singer, uh, she's just incredible. Um, Timber Timber, which I I didn't know about until the other day. And Tara's of, nodding. I don't know that one. A friend of mine said, "Check this out." And then um, Fantastic Negrito. This guy just anyway. Those those um, those three for sure. And then I'm always interested in you know what. Um, uh, Roger Waters or David Gilmour are doing, you know, solo out of Pink mm-hmm. Floyd. And, you know, so go back to the people that, you know, I was interested, like I was a big Pink Floyd fan growing up. And so, you know, where are they now? You know, kind of, and the yeah, music's yeah. still amazing. What was that third band that you mentioned? The Fan- Fantastic Negrito. Is that like uh, off-brand Childish Gambino? This guy has been around for a while and he's had a real hard luck story. I think he got in a major car accident or something and almost uh, his music career uh, and this is me just trying to remember the, the bio I, you know went um, went sideways and then I think he came back from it and has found some newfound success um, and, it, and I think it also um, you know gave him uh, you know clarity as to why he's why he's making music. Can you compare his music to someone else just to, for um, our listeners sake? Yeah like a combination of you know blues and uh, Alabama shakes and um, yeah yeah okay yeah. Um, and and I want to just uh, put it out there into the listener universe that uh, we are compiling Spotify playlists of all of the songs that are chosen by our guests and are recommended by our guests so if you want to hear the song that he, or the artist that he just talked about uh, just go to you know our website and that's, find that's all great that stuff yeah no that we've got really a, we've got a, we've got an intern who's working on that now and be careful with the frogs there's not many there's not many friendly frogs hear that DP? <laughs> careful with the frogs um, so uh, it's, it's time to move on to your last song. Uh, so you've gone from the early 70s for your first two songs yes. as far as their, their spawning um, into something, you know, not not super modern, but way more modern than that. What do you got? All right. So we're going to listen to Ween, A Tear for Eddie. And and I'm not a big Ween fan. Um, you know, I used to, you know, listen to um, music like that more. And, you know, that's funny, weird, kind of like, you know, off, off-colored. Um, but this song, it just, once again, every time I hear it, it just takes me someplace that uh, I, I can't ignore. So let's hear it. This is a tear for Eddie from uh, Ween's 1994 album Chocolate and Cheese. <laughs> Instrumental. Yeah. Yes, I was debating on that or a, a Miles Davis tune. Um, I think that was the back and forth trying to figure out which one made the cut and, and lately... Um, I think uh, that one beat Miles out for now. For what reason? Um, 
So you're not a fan, so there's got to be a connection so, to somewhere, so, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm a fan of that song for sure. Right, right. Um, but you know, most of other, if anyone who you know listens to Ween, not all the songs are like that. Right, right. Um, so it's just so melancholy, and it refers to um, Eddie Hazel, a guitar player. Um, so it's you know a tribute in some ways to to him. Um, so I think he was um, from Funkadelic, and he wrote a song called Maggot Brain, which was an amazing song. Um, so there's some overlap there, and I think that's for me a lot of a lot of the music that I enjoy. It's not just the song, but it's what fingers it has, yeah. you know, out into the world and references that it, it you know makes you think about. But that melody, that that arc that that song takes me through, I can listen to that song over and over again, you know, ten times in a row, and just get lost every single time and I it's it's inexplicable and it's it's a song that I must have discovered or for myself just two years ago oh really so it's it's just it's late. a song that's embedded itself in your brain yes. recently yes and so you had to give it some props it it's in there um, and I don't yeah and, I, and I'm a little conflicted because I was I, I try to enjoy Ween and what they do on the you know, like okay if they can do that you know if, if Dean Ween can do that he, he's he's an amazing person there's got to be some really good stuff and I'm finding hints of it here and there on the other songs but it's just so different oh so, it is yeah. I saw Ween once in uh, in, in Atlanta at an old theater and there there was something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know if you like the way songs connect and have uh, tendrils um, next week's episode um, which I can spoil because this will come out after that is with um, Stick Martin one of the two guys who made our theme song and uh, he and Dave 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 the other guy who made the theme song met because one of them played a ween song and then the other one played a ween song and then the other one played a ween song. And then they and Stick described it as they ended up having a ween off uh-huh. <laughs> that went till 3 o'clock in the morning because between them they knew almost 50 ween songs. Wow. So this this podcast has some pretty deep ween roots. There you go. <laughs> um, how did you discover it? Do you remember? I mean, is, you know, it, this did, is the, did this Napster is the, feed it up to well, you? Well, this is the, the fascinating thing about Napster, right, is that you, you go down one path, one – one alley, and you don't know where you're going to end up. You know when you go on these, um, whatever Spotify it doesn't matter what you know what you know you listen to. But they, you know, so I, I do all every time I listen to a band, I go, okay, what are the influences? You know, so I look and, and try to figure out, you know, where can this one song or band lead me to? And uh, I, it must have been something like that where it popped up and. I hit play and then hmm. it's like, wow. Do you think that that way you like to look for the way things are connected is related to, you know, your your life in art? Because it seems like there's a lot of, you know, artists who try to integrate and you're, you're kind of trying to tie together, you know, both form and meaning. Right. You know, and history. I mean, is that kind of – Yeah, I think, I think the, um, you know, things that – that surprise you, that shed new light or offer a new vantage point to see the world, and um, you know th- that's what I really value, what I really get um, you know absorbed into, and and those aren't necessarily going to be the expected moments, right? They're the unexpected moments, and so to to provide yourself a way to to surprise yourself, to to challenge yourself, to give yourself that that unexpected moment. Um, yeah, that's that's what I, you know, I think that's what I enjoy most in life. 
Do you um, do you make much art these days, or are you too busy with the rest of your responsibilities? So lately, that energy is really going into you know playing guitar and and trying to sing and and you know build that confidence and that talent and and find you know investigate and find you know um, how these these composers how these these songwriters did it you know so I think I, my creative energy has gone in that direction. For the moment, um, do you have a favorite song to sing? And does oh, the answer man. to that question change if you're alone versus in the presence of people? Lately, I've been singing Scott Walker's "Duchess" over and over and over again, playing that, singing that. Um, so that's my favorite lately. And you know, James Brown is is a good one. Wow, I'm, I'm trying to picture you doing James Brown. That's fun to imagine. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> Which song? I. I I don't know. You have to, you have to, I have to <laughs> start playing some and feel feel the inspiration. I guess. Um, what else? Maybe uh, some Brian Eno. Those are there's some good early Brian Eno songs when he was writing pop songs, more pop songs mm-hmm. versus the mm-hmm. atmospheric songs. Are there any uh, the TV theme songs you can sing uh, on demand, on command that are? Buried so deeply into your brain that they're going to be there forever. I, I can't do it here, not not today. You could tell us the name of the show. Oh, I really like <laughs> I really like the Andy Griffith intro oh. intro, but that so that's not really a. I just like that as a theme song. Did you ever figure that out on the guitar? You yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you could play that on the guitar? Yeah, that was pretty simple. Well. I wish you had your guitar. <laughs> um, okay, so you you um, mentioned the the frogs was maybe your best concert experience. Do you have one well, that, most memorable, most memorable, whatever that? Yeah, yeah. Do you have one, one that uh, that you know maybe your craziest concert experience or something? Well, that, that might that, be one of the yeah one of the crazier ones. Um, but you know, what else? Oh, you know, I saw I went to one of the early Lollapalooza uh-huh. and I saw Ministry. Oh, and that was intense. You know, on the lawn and lots of mud and people sliding around and, you know, and then we had, you know, the freak show on the side where people had all the piercings and lifting, you know, things with certain body parts that weighed a lot of, you know, a lot of weight. Um, that was that was a weird one. Uh, that was Lollapalooza? Yeah, like year two or three. I think. Oh, yeah, when it was – well, it's still pretty crazy, but yeah. Um, uh, is there an album? Um, if you had to choose one, like you know, the, the whole year, you only get to listen to this one album again. Is there one that would be uh, an easy pick to be on that list? Goodness. I, you know, I think I would go to um, some of those Miles Davis, uh, Bitches Brew or Live Evil. Um, they're just – complicated enough and memorable enough. Once again, I've listened to those over and over and over again and, and you know, can get lost in those. Do you guys um, play music in the gallery? Like background occasionally. music? Occasionally. That's not part of the normal scene well, there? You know, it could be. It could be. Because I could hear some of that yeah. know, just, just quietly in the background. Yeah. Um, last question. Is there a song that you will always turn off if it comes on the radio for whatever mm. reason? Mm-hmm-hmm. Rush Limbo. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a song. Although he does use like the pretenders or whatever at the beginning of his show. So maybe it's that. <laughs> I can't think of a song that drives me crazy like that. So you don't have a, you don't hold ill will for you either know, memory reasons or style reasons? No, no. And I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do lately is, you know, because these, you know, Art, these musicians have made it because they're good for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't always see why, right, right? Right. And so I'm trying to let go of that baggage and say, okay, 
let's let's really just listen instead of coming predisposed, you know, the preconceived notion like, oh, I don't like that because it sounds like something I've heard before that I don't like, you know. And that's tough to do. I think, it, you know, we bring a lot – a lot of baggage to our experiences. I've heard so, several variations on that through guests on this show. And I'm wondering if there might be something to the fact that we now have so much more access to so much more music and we're being fed things that maybe are close to or near and then a little farther out. And so suddenly you just – you feel like you got to take it all more seriously because you can't just stay siloed up. I mean you can but if you're going to listen to things through Pandora or these other channels, right, you know, right. do you think that has something to do with that? I think it's that. I think it's – yeah, I think it's the exposure to just so much because in the past, right, you had to invest, you know, okay, I want to listen to an album. Well, it's going to cost, you know, 15 bucks or whatever it is, $12. Yeah. So, and you might want to just get your money's worth out of it. Right. right? So I'm going to make sure, hey, I, I know I, I want to make sure I like this music before I invest this money in it, right? And now that investment is so low, mm-hmm. you know, so you can try, you can try so much more. You know, and um, so I would imagine that's hmm. got to have something to do with it. All right. Any final thoughts? You guys are doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love the show. Oh, well, I appreciate so, it. We're having a blast doing good. it. Good. We dreamed it up. Uh, Richard and I, who, you know, you, you see us walking around campus. We dreamed it up while walking around campus, and it was just this big theoretical thing. And now we've done like 30 episodes. And it's just crazy. So thank you. Thank you for doing it. I'm really uh, appreciative. My, my pleasure. We make this podcast in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University. Richard Chinqui is the show's co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme music was created by Stick Martin and Dave 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 Cowan at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For my parting tune this week, I'm going back to 1982, hanging out with my best friend at the time, a kid named Mark who lived down the street. We were in fourth grade, hanging out on a weekend. And he had his mindset on getting the local radio station, Wink 96.9, to play what was his favorite song at the moment, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, made super popular because it was the theme song for Rocky III, which had come out that same year. I was not necessarily a fan of the song, not really my vibe, but supported his effort as he dialed the request line and made the ask. Afterwards, he made us some mac and cheese and did so in a way I will never forget. After boiling the water and cooking the pasta, he proceeded to add the cheese powder, butter, and milk to the pasta in the pot with the water still in it. I tried to suggest he might not be doing it right, but he wouldn't budge. That was sort of his style. I can remember it like it was yesterday as we sat in his kitchen eating what was effectively macaroni and cheese soup as Eye of the Tiger came on the radio, him pumping his fist to the glory of it. Ah, good times. Simpler times. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Uh, do you sing? Are you a singer around the house? Uh, do you sing? Only to my kids and my cat. <laughs> okay, only to your kids and your cat and your husband probably. No, no not even wow, him. Wow, there's a line there. No, he's a yeah. critic. <laughs> wow, that's funny.